0: Okay. All right. Do you see the picture of the? This is my sister's farm, and she has chickens. And these were chickens that were raised. No, it's a chicken. It's a chicken. <laughs> okay. And they were raised in a cage. They were hatched in a cage, and all they ever knew was the cage. And she says, this is what she wrote. Two weeks ago, I set them free by opening the door. I don't understand why they don't get out where the food and water are. I feed them only a little bit. You can see the empty, empty pan and the open door. And they're kind of starving. When I put them out, they will go back in even if there's no food. And as I was praying for all of you and I, I don't know you but there are things that the Lord showed me in my heart um, how much he cares about you and that there are people gals sitting here that you know the door is open and you know you have Jesus in your heart but you go back and you're living in a cage and so this message is for you you may look good on the outside but there's something more Does the truth really set people free? Or is it just religious talk? Can you be free and still be in bondage? And if you're filling these blanks out, does the truth really set people free? And the next slide shows you a picture uh, of a caterpillar versus a butterfly. And here's the blanks. Free or transformed? That caterpillar is free. He can go anywhere on that milkweed he wants to go. He's free, but he's not transformed. And if you're still in a cage, you may be free. You can go in and out. You can walk anywhere in that cage you want, but you're not transformed. I used to hate people. I mean, really. And I used to say, I hate them with every cell on my body, and I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know that there's a coding on the cell that records every thought, every word that you you say, every thought that you think, every word that's spoken to you, and it's on the cells, every cell. And some of it even goes into the DNA and changes your very DNA. And you wonder why you can't get free. And what we're gonna share today is we're gonna go all the way to the core because you're gonna hear these words and they're gonna be embedded on every cell and I'll t- just briefly tell you the way I got free of literally hating people as I knew it was wrong I love God so I ignored the hate I thought if I love God it was okay but I was in a cage I may have been free The door was open, but I wasn't transformed. And so one day, you know, I was reading in the Bible where it talked about um, if you don't love your brother, whom you can see, then you really don't love God. You do not love God. And I thought, oh, no, that's wrong. (laughs) And I had to decide, is God a liar or am I believing a lie? And you know who won. But I didn't know how to change. Please hear me. When I tell you stories, there's going to be principles embedded in those stories to show you that it's not just talk, it's real. And I just went to God because I read that story also of blind Bartimaeus and um, how he was sitting on the side of the road and Jesus came by and he's hollering and everybody's telling him, be quiet. And Jesus comes over to him and he asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine the king of kings, the creator of this huge universe? The mighty God. No nothing, no one is greater than he. And he's speaking to this blind beggar sitting in the dust and the dirt at the side of the road. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he's saying that to you this morning. He said that to me and so I did not want to. I didn't want to ask anything unless it was the hardest thing I could think of and finally after several years I realized the hardest thing I could ever ask for would be God would you change my heart I don't want to hate people I want to love them in such a way that they're drawn to Jesus and I don't know. I don't know how he did it. I don't even know when he did it. All I know is, oh my, <laughs> I love people. And as I've been praying for you, I feel what God feels for you. You have no idea the depth of love that he has for you, but you will in just a minute. <laughs> okay. okay, the transformation key is obviously the truth. But why does the truth only set some people free, yet it totally transforms others? My friend is here that came up with me, and she used to be in darkness, deep, deep darkness. And every time we went to a conference and every time I'd look at her, I'd just feel God's love for her and just kept saying, "Oh, do you know God loves you so much? Those words, when you believe them, can totally, completely transform your life. You will never be the same again. Right? (laughs) So here we go. At the core of every single problem is a root lie. And the enemy covers it up with more lies and more lies. This is something Jessica shared with me after she got free. The devil has to hide and protect that core lie because if that core lie is ever exposed and dealt with, every other lie will be exposed and can easily be defeated. Got it? Okay, so if you wanna doodle around with the fringe lies, you can do that all your life And never experience the transformation that you crave. If the root lie is not replaced by the truth, it doesn't matter how much effort you put into dealing with all the other lies and problems. Nothing will work for long. Nothing. You'll find that more lies are reproducing. You getting that blank? They're reproducing faster than you can keep up with them and faster than you can develop coping skills to keep up with them. You're still in a cage. The door's open, but you don't know how to get out. How do you find the root lie? And I'm going to share that with you because it's very, very simple. If it's God, it's simple. You ask yourself this one simple question does god really love me can't get any simpler than that and you know the religious answer it's a blank the religious answer is obviously what yes and we all know that but even the devil knows the answer to that question So we have to believe a little differently than the devil. Because if we don't, we're staying in the cage. Do you have a revelation of what you know? You can be free, a saved believer, and know that the answer to that question, what, what the answer to that question is supposed to be, but that doesn't mean you believe what you know. Do you get that? That doesn't mean you believe what you know. You see kids today, they know they're a guy, but they don't want to believe it. Do you follow? You can be saved. You can be free, a saved believer and still be hiding under a cloak of shame and guilt. And there's people sitting in this room as I've prayed for you. That's you. That's you. You can be free, a saved believer, and still be bound by feelings and words that you know are not right, but they're constantly pounding, pounding, pounding into your head until you actually start believing them. You can be free, a saved believer, and still know that you are living a pretense, but you're afraid to tell anybody because, oh, what will they think? You have a reputation. You have an image, and it would really shatter that image. You can be free, a saved believer, and be living a lie of carefully organized and controlled coping skills that help you avoid facing those hidden things. So, if you're ready, we're going to get a revelation of the truth that's gonna transform your life. You don't have to stay where you're at. And you can, I mean, I've watched people, including this one right here, She came to a meeting, you come to a meeting, and when you walk out that door, you're totally, completely free to be transformed. You don't have to stay in the cage any longer. So we're going to start at the beginning, and I'm just going to take you on a journey. And by the time we get to the end, if you've heard this with your heart, there's no way you can stay the same. So first of all, we're going to start, like I said, at the beginning. Everybody asks, how did the earth come to be? But we're going to ask it differently. But asking why God created the earth changes everything. John 14, 2 says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, if God prepares a place for you after you die don't you think he would prepare a place for you before you die? Okay, okay. And he did. Just as Jesus has prepared a place for you in heaven, God has prepared a place for you in creation. And I had a video that we couldn't show, so we'll just put up this little picture, um, which I forgot and left the notes in my... But here, here's the best I can remember. The Word of God says that the universe is so incredibly huge that they haven't even found the end of it. Um, the, the way He measures all the waters in the earth is how. I once took a man, the biggest man in the crowd, tall. he was tall, 6'6", six, six or something like that, anyway. And he comes up, and he holds this big, massive hand out. And I pour water in it, and I got a tablespoon. <laughs> but God takes all the waters in the oceans, and the rivers, and the, everything, the puddles, and he holds it in one hand, right in the palm of his hand, and it doesn't spill. How does he do it? He's huge. He's magnificent. He measures the universe that we can't even find the end to. And he goes like this, dink, dink. (laughs) How could somebody so huge, so almighty pay any attention to a speck of dust on the floor and count how many hairs are on the head of that speck of dust at any given moment? You're going to hear a story at the end, Okay. It's just, we can't even comprehend what God has done just to create a place for us. But the answer to why did God create this amazingly vast universe is simple. And the answer is two words, for you. It's so he could reveal himself to you. You know, I could tell you uh, I'm I'm a grandma, but you have no idea what those words mean. I mean, you don't see the holes in my wall. You don't see how the police had to rescue me from the banks of the river when I took my kids on a walk. There's a lot of things you don't see when I say, I'm a grandma. Okay, so God gave us visual aids all the way along. He revealed himself, and when you go out and you stand under that night sky and you look up, you think, you know, not only did he name every star, but he knew my name when I was just a word in his heart. That's Psalm 139. He wants to reveal his glory, his precision, his order, his care, his mercy, his grace, his wisdom, his nature, his extravagant love. For those who stop and do a Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. There is something God wants you to know. Psalm 19. One to four says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Oh my goodness, so much going through my head. When do stars shine? And do they have a message? They speak. They speak without a sound or word, their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. What's your definition of a beginning? It's usually when things start getting better. God's definition is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless, void, dark. When everything is the worst, that's God's definition of beginning. Look at the nation. Look at things in your life. When were Paul and Silas released from jail? At the darkest hour. When were they released from uh, Egypt, the Hebrew children? At the midnight hour. So if you've got some midnight hours, look up. Look up. The stars have a message for you. There's light in the darkness. And you know what that message is? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He set this huge, extravagant universe that he made on a foundation of his word. Hebrews one three says he upholds all things by the word of his power. And this foundation of this extravagant universe is his word, but he also put a cornerstone in it. Job 38 says... God asks Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Or who laid its cornerstone? Well, Ephesians 2.20 says Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. So the cornerstone is a person. Isn't that amazing? And why is it important to know that? You're going to see in just a minute. The Bible tells us not only the location of the cornerstone for the foundation of the earth, which Isaiah 28:16 says, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed, which Zion is a word for Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Why that particular place? There's a lot of other places that are probably even prettier, nicer. Psalm 132 says, for the Lord has chosen, chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever, and here I will dwell, for I have desired it. He says it twice in the same verse. God wants to be here. He wants to dwell close to his people. Those were blanks. He wants to dwell close to his people. And then this amazing, incredible God did something else. He stamped his initial on the land. This is the Hebrew letter Shin. And it's the first, name, first letter in God's name, El Shaddai. You can see El Shaddai up there. The L, the two letters, that's an L, and they read backwards, and the Sh, Shaddai. Looking down from above Jerusalem, one can see the valleys around Jerusalem form the letter Shin. Do you see it? Do you ever put your name on a rock, or carve it on a rock, or sign on your house, on your mailbox, something? God does that, too. (laughs) Jerusalem is the place where Yahweh, the God of Israel, dwells. But that's not only the place where he dwells. It's also the place where where he wants to reign. He will reign as king there. Isaiah 24, 23 says, The Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. Does that kind of explain why there's so much fighting going on in that place? Whoever owns the foundation, whoever owns a cornerstone, will reign in that place. So does that explain why, if Jesus lives in your heart, why there's so much fighting over one person? You. But God is fighting for you, not against you. And some of you have believed that. Some of you have thought, if this is the way God treats somebody that loves him, I've had it. God is fighting for you, not against you. He wants to live in your heart, and he also wants to reign there. He can live in your heart, and you can be free. Or he can reign in your heart, and you'll be transformed. So let's keep going. So out of this whole universe, Jerusalem is his dwelling place, and God engraved his name of ownership on the land, but that's not the only place he wants to dwell. God told the Jewish people that he wanted them to do something with their dwelling places. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. And because of lack of time, just I'm just going to skim through this verse. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you. Hear, O Israel, and I'm going to tell you something right now. When the word of God is read, this is what the devil does. I'm going to warn you. Put your hands, take his hands and just slap them down. Now hear the word of the Lord with your heart. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And it goes on about how we should teach them to our children. And then it says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So thus, here comes the Jewish practice of placing a mezuzah on their doorposts, it's this decorative little case with a scroll inside the scriptures we just read. And on the outside, it's often decorated with that shin. Do you see that? It's the same letter that God used to stamp his name on the land, his his mark of ownership. Is it possible to understand how deeply God cares about us? because he doesn't just want to live on earth in the general vicinity. He wants his home to be in your home, my home. But you know, that's not even close enough for God. If we don't understand that God is trying to reveal his love to us and longing to be in close fellowship with us, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do things like try to perform to earn his approval. We just do it, don't we? trying to make sure others keep his laws. We compare ourselves to others, and we have this whole bag of things to do to earn his approval. But that's like the chickens. They're free, but they chose their cage perspective. It's time to look beyond the cage. What is God up to? God chose another dwelling place. A place where we can be together with one another you remember the story in 2nd um, Samuel 24 how David went to take a census and then he was warned that it wasn't right to do so and as a result there was this three-day plague in the nation of Israel and I think about 70,000 men died and David saw the destroying angel standing at the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. It was located on Mount Moriah, which would eventually be the place where Jesus was crucified. But it was also the place where the um, temple would be built. And David brought, he wanted to make an offering and ask God to stop it, deliver us. And so he bought and paid for that place. He bought and paid for that place, and it became the place where God dwelt in the midst of the gathering of his people. Sorry, God still wasn 't satisfied; He longed for a dwelling place that would be even closer to you you. so he bought and paid for another place in which to dwell first corinthians six nineteen to twenty <laughs> i 'll hear this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And guess what he did? Just as he marked his name on Zion, his dwelling place, And just as he instructed those Jews to place the mark of his name on their doorpost, he has also marked you with his name, designing it right into your physical heart. Do you see it? Do you see the shin? The devil has a mark, too. Which one? But that interesting mark is not enough to create a place of intimate fellowship with you that he longs for. Because Jesus waits to be invited into your heart. Not into your physical heart, but into you. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. How much time do you spend listening to God on the way up here it's too long of a story but just briefly as we came into Bloomington Illinois we were supposed to meet a lady there that I'd never met before <laughs> but anyway such is God doing things and we asked God put us in the right hotel the place where you choose and out of all of Bloomington-Normal, Illinois, God directed us to the one hotel where this stranger that I'd never met, her daughter got married in that hotel. Tell me how he does it. I don't know. <laughs> Do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? If you practice you're gonna have an amazing life and never is boring. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Ephesians 3:17 to 19 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He wants you to know something you can't know, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Because if you want to know something that you can't know, all you do is just get full of God. So what, what do you usually do when you buy a house? You usually remodel it, don't you? You put your colors, you put your style, you make it fit you. And it's the same thing God does with you. He loves you so much. He provides an unlimited, expense-paid account to his free remodeling program. Hallelujah. And he provides the carpenter, who is the Holy Spirit. Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. He has already given, he already has the blueprints. And you know, that's the book, the Bible. Psalm 139 says, You saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Can you imagine you being so important to God that he knew you be- when you were just a thought in his heart? in heaven while he was designing the creation with you in mind and he paid for it all oh he provides the building material which is the word it says he sent his word and he healed them that's Psalm 107 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new, remodeled, redone creation. Old things have passed away. They never, they, I don't want to stay in the cage. I want to be brand new, all things brand new. And he paid for it all with his blood. You do not have to keep the rotting dead rats from past generations in the basement of your heart. Don't. There's some dead rats in this room. Please hear me. God says there's some dead rats in this room. Some of you have even wondered about dead, maybe just ending it all. You don't have to pretend that your marriage is good. If you have damage from your past choices and regrets, those are dead rats. You don't have to. You can kill them. Oh, my goodness. There's so many things I could say, but I, I got to keep going. Here's an example of God's remodeling program. Russian researchers have successfully changed a frog embryo into a salamander embryo by use of language. They transmitted the DNA information pattern to the frog embryo via spoken Words words that I'm speaking to you, it's creating a vibration, and it's going into your ear, and it is transforming you. (laughs) That frog embryo changed into a salamander embryo, and they did it with words. Can you imagine? When you hear the word of God, It's changing you. And the depth to which you seek him is the depth to which you find him. They couldn't just, blink, there's the pattern, and then walk off and expect to change. That's what we do. No, you take that word, and you listen. You speak. I remember one time when I was, uh, oh, this is years ago, and I was having a really hard time, and my mind had gotten messed up with thoughts, and imaginations, and anger, and stuff. And I went home, I told the kids, you can have the day off, but if you bother me, I'm going to work your tails off. So I sat down in my chair, and I tried to read the Word, but my thoughts were louder than the Word. So what did I do? I read it out loud. My thoughts were still louder than the Word's we lived in the country, which is kind of a good thing, because by the time I got done, I was shouting the word of God at the top of my lungs because I had made a decision. I'm going with what God says, not what the devil says, and so if if I'm going to, if he's going to bother me, he's going to have to hear the word. He didn't like that, and so he left. Now, if it works for a frog... It'll work for you, okay? God loves you so much that he made it possible for old things to pass away and all things to become new. You can't think in the cage and expect to fly like a butterfly. There's the power of the word. Psalm 107:20. I already said it. He sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destructions. There was a lady from Nakona when we were going to Bible school, and she came to speak, and she couldn't have children. The God promised her a child, and um, how am I doing on time? Okay. Uh, And so she prayed, and she felt like God was saying, I'm going to give you a a little one. I'm going to give you a baby. So she circled nine months later, and nine months came, and she was... There was no baby. And she was broken. I mean, the whole nine months, she knew she was not pregnant. And her heart was, you know how, if you've you've been barren, it's, it's a craving. She's just broken. And that day, she got a call from the state. And the state said, we have a baby we can't do anything with. This baby cries if it's awake. It's screaming. And so it was a reject of the rejected children. Some of you may feel like that. Some of you may know some people like that. And here's what this lady did. She brought this baby home knowing this is God's assignment for me. This is God's gift. The baby was wearing them out because all it did was scream. And she goes to the pastor and she says, I don't know what to do. He says, try the word. So she goes home, she gets a little tape and plays it constantly. And that baby, it healed that baby. I heard one of her estate kept sending her people, kids. And so she'd get these teenagers <laughs> that were the rejects of the rejects, and they were the F students. They were the violent. They were the the bullies and the nobody wanted to be around them. They had fixed up their house by this time where the the music could be piped in (laughs) and it couldn't be turned off. And these kids would react to the word and you may find yourself when you first start doing this that your flesh will rise up and say, I don't want it. I'm just warning you. But you keep going. You keep going. And pretty soon you're going to feed your spirit and feed your spirit. And I heard... She said, this is my worst case. And this young man began to talk about something in Proverbs. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have never heard such wisdom come out of even older pastors as I heard coming out of that teenager, 16-year-old teenager's mouth. The word will transform you. <laughs> Now, his love for you is so deep, so complete. Oh, I think I skipped something. Say what God says about you, and you will become what God says about you. His love for you is so deep, so complete, so absolute, that he permanently marked your name, tattooed it on the palms of his hand. Take a look at the picture. That's your name. Isaiah 49, 16 says, See, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. For those, we were talking, Jessica and I were talking about getting tattoos, and I, I said... I don't want a tattoo. I am a tattoo. (laughs) Not only that, but when you accept his purchase price that he paid for you, he adopts you into his family. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And it's like... (laughs) Suzette, Suzette, Simone, Simone, Uh, Keely, Keely. He's just calling to you into his family, and just as in any adoption case, there is a legal court document. (coughs) It's waiting for your name to be signed to make it completely legal, and you find it in Matthew one seventeen. So all generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And to save time, there's the names. And from David until the captivity in Babylon, there are 14 generations. And there's the names. And I, I'm just going to go over it quickly. But, and from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. And if you count those names, there's a missing name. And you know whose name that is. In the Bible, God left a blank and it's for your name. Isaiah 53:10 says, "Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed." That's you. Hebrews 2:11 to 13, he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, "Here am I and the children whom God has given to me. You are a gift to Jesus. A love gift. Can you imagine? Acts 17, 28. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God. Romans nine twenty-six. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them. You are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. We are the children of God. We are a part of his family. And here's the last, kind of, but it's the best one of all. He loves you just as much as he loves his own son. John 17, 23 to 26 says, I and them and you and me, all being perfected into one, so that the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. You may not feel very loved, and you may or may not feel broken. Maybe your life was one big chaotic mess, and maybe it isn't. You can be in leadership. You can just be sitting in the congregation. You can be working in the church. It doesn't matter. But do you have a revelation of how much God loves you? If you don't, this is for you. I found some little caterpillars on a milkweed that was about to get pulled out of my flower bed. So I brought it inside, and I took pictures of its progress. It was in the cocoon stage, and it looked all neat and nice on the outside, just like you guys. (laughs) And then I shone a light behind it, and I discovered that inside it was empty, except for a little gob of goo. At the top. You know, you can look good on the outside but be a mess on the inside. But you know why? It's only because you are becoming what God designed you to be transformed. And today something is happening inside of that mess that maybe you have in there. Only God can take something that is dark, empty, and void, and create light and life. In the creation, he spoke four words. He said, let there be light. Ding. And there was light. When the new creation, he speaks three words. I love you. Ding. <laughs> you get that revelation? This is the truth. You will never be the same again. And I challenge you to begin to meditate on those three words. Jesus loves me. You're Going to be free or transformed. You may know the truth, yet still be living in the cage or cocoon of depression, loneliness, pretense, rejection. You may even teach Bible classes and be highly respected and still feel like goo on the inside. So how do you go from caged to changed, from goo to new? You believe and you meditate on and declare what God says about you instead of what the devil says about you. Now, on the way up here, we're talking... And I was telling her uh, I, I've had some pretty crazy th- experiences with. Uh, uh, oh, is that it? That's it. Just leave it with the with the butterfly on there. Uh, I rescued a little sparrow. Didn't have any feathers on it or anything. I took it home, and we lived in Missouri at this time. And I fed it. Every time I'd feed it, I'd go. Okay. And so every time I'd whistle, you know, it'd open its mouth, and ready to eat. And it grew, got feathers, and then it wanted to fly. So I'd take it out, and it, we'd, it'd practice flying. Well, there was this big, huge oak tree down the ways, just not far from the house. I mean, huge, huge. And all these birds would nest in it, or... Uh, sleep in it overnight and in the morning when the sun started to come up you know how the birds do and that tree was so full of birds that it was like hundreds and hundreds I'm not saying thousands because I might be exaggerating but it was hundreds and hundreds of birds and my little sparrow one day you know as I was working with it come on flap your wings I whatever (laughs) and It flew all the way over to that oak tree. And it was in the evening, and I thought, I think it's time. I'll just let it sleep out there. So I get up in the morning, and I walk out there, and I go, (whistles) out of all those hundreds and hundreds of sparrows, I heard my little bird. I heard his chirp. He answered me. And I recognized his voice. I want to tell you, this is my closing thing. I don't know how many billions of people there are in the world, but God knows your voice out of all the billions because he loves you. There you go.